You like playing Madden and can't wait. Hey, what's up, Packers fans? This is the G Spot Packers podcast. I'm Paul, and I got Brian here hosting with me as always. Check us out on social media. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or Castbox. Well, Brian, we're back after a pretty lengthy break uh, to do our first episode of the off season. It has been a while, but the time has passed really fast for me. Oh, I'm sure it has. What's the big news that you've got to share? Well, the weekend before the Super Bowl, my uh, first child was born. We had our daughter born then, and ever since then, we've been learning and adjusting to life with a new baby. So these weeks have flown by for me. Wow, that's a huge congratulations to you. Uh, always excited to have another Packer fan join the family. Uh, so what's been the biggest change so far? Don't say no sleeping. Obviously, everyone knows that one. Uh, just realizing how little you know and uh, how much uh, everything kind of focuses on someone else now. Oh, that's that's crazy. That's uh, it's gonna be a big change. But but uh, without further ado, um, we do got an episode to do here. Uh, we're gonna discuss the 2020 offseason, talk about some potential roster cuts, free agency, and the draft. Also going to talk about the new collective bargaining agreement that's uh, on the horizon, potentially agreed to in the upcoming days. But first, we need to discuss that uh, NFC Championship game and the 2019 season as a whole. Um, We don't need to go into it too much. Uh, We know the uh, result of that championship game, uh, that that was about the same uh, as the first time we went to San Francisco in the regular season. Absolutely. We got our ass kicked again. Uh, this time Raheem Mostert put up 220 yards on the game on the ground. The rest of the team only put up uh, 65 yards, but that was still quite a bit. And their offense completely outplayed our defense and it was over from the beginning. Yeah, our, our offense wasn't much better. Uh, Rodgers had OK stats if you just look at the numbers minus the two interceptions, but we didn't score until the third quarter and we just never were really in the game. It was a complete beat down. And, uh, that's really all I can want to get into on that game. It didn't hurt as bad as, uh, other times, but anytime you lose a championship game, it's tough. Yeah. Um, agreed. No, uh, sense in rehashing that pain. Uh, but in, in the following game, the Super Bowl, the 49ers faced off against Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs. And despite having a, 10-point lead with 6 minutes and 13 seconds left in the, the game, uh, Kansas City scored 21 unanswered points to win the Super Bowl. That game was uh, very exciting and one of the uh, most enjoyable Super Bowls uh, in recent memory. Uh, it would have been better with the Packers in it, but I'm happy for uh, former Green Bay Packers uh, quarterback coach Andy Reid with his first Super Bowl win. Well-deserved. Um, tough break for Kyle Shanahan. This is the second time his a team he's been on has blown a double digit lead in the fourth quarter in a Super Bowl, so that's going to be tough for him to swallow moving forward. That is going to be tough. Uh, so going back to the Packers, though, um, just in general in the 2019 season, uh, you know, going into this season, we were faced with a lot of uncertainty. Uh, new head coach, new offensive scheme, four big free agent signings uh, who are all starters two first-round draft picks, uh, and we just weren't sure 
if we'd have another lousy season, third one in a row, or if we'd actually be contending this season. Yeah, it's better than I thought this team was going to be. I know it was on your uh, high water mark of maybe we could reach 13 and three. And that's exactly what we did. We earned that second seed in the NFC and we made the championship game. Obviously, we could have had the dream scenario of winning the Super Bowl, but you really can't expect too much more with a first year head coach and all those things you mentioned uh, for this team. And it's good to see what will happen in the next couple of years. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, you know, that was the high water mark. The I had said at the beginning of the season, the floor was six and ten, uh, the ceiling was thirteen and three, and it, it really matched uh, our most optimistic of predictions. Yeah, really couldn't have got much better um, than anyone was really thinking. Obviously, a Super Bowl win would have been just you know a dream scenario, but it was still amazing. It was still an amazing season. Exactly. And it just makes me really excited about 2020 season uh, with the second year in Lafer scheme, the third year in Penton's scheme, uh, having all those uh, free agent additions and uh, high draft picks. Now, uh, you know, really uh, getting in on a second season, just seeing what they can all do uh, and gel together and uh, seeing where they can leap from uh, that 13-3 mark. Yeah, and something we've talked about before with uh, Matt LaFleur, his second season at, in Atlanta, that's when uh, Matt Ryan won his MVP. Uh, so let's hope that uh, with another season, um, a little extra offseason for Aaron Rodgers, he can have just another awesome year with this Matt LaFleur system. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we will certainly get more into that, and we'll have plenty of time to talk before September. Um but one thing that's going on right now is this new CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement. Uh, as we speak, the Players Union and the owners are uh, undergoing negotiations for this new CBA. And with this CBA coming up, it's been uh, rumors the last couple of years of potentially a lockout with the owners and the Players Union being pretty far apart. But we have one season left under the current CBA, so no lockout concerns yet with this com- upcoming season. Yeah, it seems like both sides are pretty motivated to get this deal done uh, soon. So that, that would be great to not have the lockouts. Um, but some things that have been questionably uh, great, I would say, um, there's been some leaks about the uh, current proposal and current negotiations that are going on that include a 17-game regular season, a three-game preseason, a seven-team uh, playoff, uh, so one extra team in the playoffs, which means that only the top seed gets a bye. Those first two roughly make that last four season, fourth preseason game count, so I don't think that'll be a huge change. It'll just be another uh, game that's going to be on the records. But I think that last one you talk about a seventh playoff team is going to shake things up a lot. And I think it's going to have a major impact in the playoffs and the end of the season, trying to make those games count for more teams, but it'll be an adjustment. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I'm, I'm fine with uh, the regular season and swapping uh, that, that last preseason game for the first regular season game. Um, but I, I can't say I'm thrilled about the seven teams being in the playoffs. Although, you know, it will be more exciting, you know, keeping more teams alive and more fan bases engaged uh, in that playoff hunt. You know, it, it seemed to have worked well for baseball when they recently expanded their wild card. 
uh, but it really is diluting the product. And it's especially to the point where you're approaching half the teams or making the playoffs, not quite, but almost, um, you know, what's the point of the regular season? I would agree with that. I don't like that. It's getting another team added in there, but, uh, it is what it is and it's going to get, make more money. And that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. And it's like the, the, uh, NBA and NHL playoffs right now, you know, they both have eight teams in the playoffs. So basically half of their teams make it over half, I think actually. And it's just, I mean, that first round of both of those playoffs, I mean, they're not exciting. I know NFL's one and done, uh, but it, it just, uh, I don't know. It doesn't make me excited for Wild Card Weekend. No, I think it does take a little of the luster off it, but we'll see. I mean, we'll have to just uh, wait and see what happens with this one and see if it's uh, better or worse. Uh, we did do a Twitter poll on this, and uh, 32% said it, they liked it, 24% said okay, 30% said uh, they didn't like it, and uh, a lowly 12% said that it was um existence and pain so uh we'll find out for sure but that was what uh, our fans thought so far yeah uh and you know ultimately you know i i, I kind of lean towards the thought that you know people are resistant and afraid of change and lots of times when it finally happens pre- people realize you know it really wasn't as bad as uh, i thought it might be um so i i don't know if that's going to be the case here uh but that's what you hope Definitely hope so, and I guess we'll have to defer judgment till uh, next year. That we will. Um, so let's let's move on now to talk about more Packers centric things. Um, first thing that uh, always comes around uh, at, the, at the beginning of the off season is thinking about any staff adjustments. The the first and biggest one that was um, talked about and rumored that it might happen is Mike Pettin. Um, he seemed dangerously close to losing his job. Uh, LaFleur, in his last press conference, uh, he was directly asked about Pettin, uh if he was coming back, and he d- declined to say that he was, and that uh, certainly um, made some people think that uh, Pettin was on the chopping block. Yeah, I think emotionally after that game uh, drove a lot of people to question that. Um, hours later, it was reported that he was, in fact, coming back. Um, the defense didn't have any answers in that 49ers game. And either way, Mike Pettin's going to have to answer for that. For for all the good that Pettin has brought, uh, the you know teams have just been able to run all over the Packers. Uh, they've ran the ball very effectively against this defense. And when Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers made it their mission to do that, in their game plan, Pettin just had no answers. Yeah, we've mentioned on this podcast before that he stated this. Uh, that's the way he kind of structures his defense. He doesn't concern himself with the run. Uh, he will dare teams to do so. Um, he needs to come up with a counter to that. Uh, if the 49ers do this again where they're just like, we'll absolutely run on you. Uh, Mike Pettin's going to have to come with a defense that can counter that when they fully commit to a running game. Yeah, and I mean it's it's worked out uh, a lot of times in his favor, you know, uh, daring the team to run and, and uh, locking down the passing game. But obviously, a team like the Forty ers can exploit that. But uh, 
the the next coach that there was certainly some discussion about his uh, his job status in during the season was Sean Menenga, special teams coordinator. Um, definitely seemed to be on the hot seat at one point. Definitely at one point uh, during the season when we were at that historical negative return yards mark, uh, he was definitely in danger of losing his job. Uh, signing Tyler Irvin and him having a great uh, return for the last third of the season and get us seeing in plus territory for that. I think that probably saved his job and uh, hopefully we can bring back Irvin to do the same next year. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but he certainly was a big impact Tyler Irvin. Um, So it does turn out that the only coach that was uh, let go was Alfred Witted, the wide receivers coach. Not a huge shock. Uh, we were hoping to see some of those young receivers take some big steps, and the ones that we really thought would, MVS and Geronimo Allison, probably regressed, if anything, and so there wasn't any development in those players, and that's probably why he got fired. You know, I, I always find it difficult to say whether a coach should be, uh, be fired or not. You know, a- after you get several seasons of seeing the same thing over, I think it, uh, us as fans – at only at that point we can say so. There's too many variables that affect performance, a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we just don't know about between the system, the players, and other coaches. Um, but with that said, this just tells me that he wasn't fitting in and him and LaFleur were probably butting heads. And uh, obviously the on-field product uh, with Geronimo and Marquez Valdez-Scantling regressing did not help his case at all. Absolutely. And although Alan Lazard uh, seemed to come out of nowhere and really make it with this team, maybe it was due to uh, Alfred Witted, maybe not. But hopefully the new coach will be able to get the potential that we were expecting to see out of MVS and uh, Geronimo Allison. If he's back as undraft, I mean, as an unrestricted free agent, he probably doesn't return. But if he does, we need somebody that can get the most out of those two guys. Yeah, at least at one point, uh, Rodgers had expressed trust in Geronimo, so you might bring him back, but we'll definitely talk about that uh, just a little bit here. For the 2020 uh, roster building part of the offseason, though, we got some key dates coming up. Uh, first one, real quick, uh, starting on the 24th of February is the Scouting Combine, running through the 2nd of March. Uh, 25th of February is when uh, teams can start franchise and transition tagging uh, their their players, and they have to do that by the 10th of March. Not something that the Packers have traditionally been very active in, but still something to consider. Uh, the 16th of March is when legal tampering happens, some weird uh, provision in the rules where you're able to talk to them but not sign them. Um, then the 18th is when actual free agency begins. Uh, then we wait over a month from that point to the 23rd through the 25th of April being the NFL draft, one of our very favorite times of the year. Then finally a little weird new one this year. Uh, and the 27th is when NFL teams will be able to sign XFL players. Lots of exciting stuff there, as always, uh, and an addition of spring football with XFL. So we'll have a fun offseason here. 
We don't have as much cap space as last year, not as high of draft capital either, but we have a much clearer future and an upward trajectory. So this offseason will be pretty exciting. Yeah, it always is. Uh, you know, you like playing Madden and going in and doing the roster building that you have there. Uh, that's exciting, at least for nerds like us. But but uh, it, it's um, it, it's it's fun to kind of guess what uh, Gutekinds is going to uh, do. Um, but we do start, um, you know, what we can be doing right now is looking at cut candidates. Um, only have about $23 million in cap space. Um, and we can't spend it all when you factor in what you got to save for the offseason and other random things here. You know, maybe we got $15 million that's spendable. And that's really not a whole lot that you can do, especially with the free agents that we um, have with expiring contracts. If the Packers want to make a real splash in the offseason and sign a free agent, they're going to have to uh, make clear up some space. And that probably means they're going to have to cut some of the uh, high-priced players they have on this team. Yeah, obviously there's a little move that you can make, like the one they did with uh, you know taking some of Aaron Rodgers' future sa- salary and making it a, a roster bonus. Um, but th- that's uh, robbing from Peter to pay Paul, um, and, which I'm always as a, a Paul a fan of. But um, in all seriousness, the most obvious the thing that can be done to free up some space is cutting Jimmy Graham. Um, that would free up $8 million uh, to do that. And from his production, just seems like a no-brainer. Like Bart Scott said, can't wait. <laughs> uh, I, I knew you were going to say something like that. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% opposed to a restructure, uh, bringing him back on a lower contract. He did make some noise in the playoffs. He's a good veteran pet presence. Maybe he's uh, going to improve in the second year of uh, the system with Fleur. Uh, but you just can't afford to pay him $11 million, which is what he's owed. Exactly. I can't really argue with too much of your points above the last one, but it's that last one where we're paying him to be the top tight end and he hasn't been anywhere near that in production. I understand he's a good presence in the locker room, a great teammate and all that, and I wish him well, but he can't be getting paid like that, so he's got to go. Yeah, we'll see. I'm probably just being over uh, optimistic and uh, sentimental about uh, the players that I I like, but regardless, he's, he's probably cut. But it is concerning that he hasn't been cut yet. We'll see. Um, another likely cut that people have been talking about um, is uh, Lane Taylor. Um, if he's cut, it's $4.6 million in savings. Makes a lot of sense with the way that Elton Jenkins played. He took over the starting position and played very well for a rookie, and he probably will only continue as the years goes on. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see Lane Taylor get cut. Yeah, you know... I, I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised, but I'm not as convinced he leaves as some people seem to think. Some people think it's a foregone conclusion, but also everyone seems to think that Brian Bulaga getting signed is a foregone conclusion, and I don't. Um, so it, it could very well happen that the Packers might move Elton Jenkins out to right tackle or Billy Turner out to right uh, tackle. Uh, and if that happens, you probably want to keep Lane Taylor. 
I would agree. You probably want to keep Lane Taylor. I really don't like, I wouldn't like to see Turner or Jenkins out at right tackle. I think they are more as a backup emergency right tackle. Uh, but my thing here is O-line depth is always good. And uh, having Lane Taylor is a good, solid backup for any position on the interior of that offensive line. I know we got Lucas Patrick and he got re-signed and maybe that suggests that the line's set and they can uh, let Taylor go. But again, O-line depth is important and uh, especially in the interior of the line, we've seen that Rodgers can make up for a bad tackle, but if he gets pressure up the middle, he has a little bit of a tough, tough time with that. Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe uh, knowing he has a bad tackle, uh, it hurries him up and he uh, executes uh, all his throws quickly like we always want him to. And he's done that in the past, so maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, so there, there's one more player that could save uh, a healthy amount of money that uh, has been a dark horse uh, out there but has been mentioned, and that's Corey Lindsley. Um He's a pretty well-respected player, uh, but if cut, he saves $8.5 million, $8. million, that is. And like I said, I know this isn't popular, but hear me out. He took a step back in 2019. Um, he did have only a 69.8 pro football focus grade, which I know we take those grades from pro football focus on the line with a grain of salt, but still... Uh, he the eye test suggested he took a step back and then you got Lucas Patrick or Elton Jenkins who can step in and play that center position yeah I was surprised to see that we can save 8.5 million dollars that's what makes this intriguing because I still think Corey Lindsley is a young solid player in there and it's again I don't think you're messing with the line so I'm gonna just kind of stick with my gut here and go I don't like it but again, it's business, and eight million, eight point five million dollars is a lot of money. Yeah, I would, I would be sad to see it happen too. But um, you know, I would, I would certainly understand the move. So now, looking at the guys who are not under contract um, that potentially could be brought back, uh, we got uh, some exclusive rights free agents. Which, what that means is the they're a free agent, but they haven't accrued two seasons of uh, playing time uh, and the teams can assign a non-guaranteed minimum contract. Uh, basically they own them. Um, so we got Robert Tanyan, Jake Kumro, Chandran Sullivan, Tyler Lancaster, Will Redmond, Alan Lazard, and John League. These tenders are great for teams to get great value and hold on to young talent while they develop. So I would tender them all um, probably prioritize Alan Lazard, Bob Tanyan, Tyler Lancaster, and uh, Chandon Sullivan. But again, I'd give them all a tender and let them all come to camp and compete for a job. Yeah, exactly. There's really not much to lose. Uh, so then the next category is restricted free agent. Basically, they can negotiate with other teams, but then their current team can uh, match any offer that comes back. A good example of this is when the Packers were uh, offering Kyle Fuller a contract. Uh, the Packers signed that offer sheet. The Bears had five days to match, and they did, and that's why he's still in Chicago. Yeah, and under under this category, all we have is Malcolm Johnson, fullback that was on inter, injured reserve all year. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, they uh, the Packers obviously have a better feel for how he is as a player, but. 
I'm pretty indifferent. Absolutely. I think they'll give him a shot to come to camp and compete, whether it's on this, uh, you know, restricted free agent thing or not, or if it's just as, uh, you know, one of the minimum contracts, I don't expect him to get a whole lot of money. So maybe we'll see him in camp. Maybe we won't. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, the real interesting, uh, part, the unrestricted free, free agents, uh, people that uh, beginning March 18th are able to sign with any club they so choose, and the Packers have nothing that they can do about it. These guys are Brian Balaga, Tremont Williams, Mason Crosby, Jason Valdier, Geronimo Allison, Mercedes Lewis, Jason Spriggs, Ryan Grant, Kyler Frackrell, BJ Goodson, Ibrahim Campbell, Tyler Irvin, and Blake Martinez. If you're Goody, how do you go about this? Well, I'm going to start with the guys that are probably going to command the highest salary and per spot track uh, estimated value. Blake Martinez is projected to get $16.3 million. Uh, and that's a little too rich for my blood. I think Blake is a very good player in the middle there, but it's not a premium position. And to pay him that much money means that he's an elite talent. Uh, as an inside linebacker. Yeah, I, I agree, and that seems to be the consensus amongst Packer fans. Um, he's he's a guy that, um, for within his capabilities, he executes uh, his assignments uh, to a T. He so you know what you're going to get, but but you also know that he's limited. And if he actually gets sixteen point three million dollars, I mean, great for him, but that's that's just too much, and the Packers can't afford it. I would agree with that. And next I would go and start with Brian Bulaga. He's projected to get $10.1 million. I think $10 million for one of the best uh, right tackles currently is a pretty good value. Again, it all comes down to injuries and he's going to need to play most of the season to make it worth that. But uh, I think Packer fans and myself agree that it's a priority to try and sign Brian Bulaga. I do find it funny that a guy that seemed like everybody wanted to cut last year to save some money, it was some viral trend on Twitter uh, to uh, cut him to save $8 million or whatever it was. Um, now they're labeling him as a must sign. Um, now he did have a great year in 2020, but he's getting older at 31. Uh, and there's definitely cheaper options on the roster and in the draft. Um, I, I I like Brian Bulaga. I'd love to see him back, uh, but it, you know, ten million dollars a year is a lot. So I guess I'm fine with either way. Ted Thompson's philosophy was that he'd rather get rid of players one year early than one year too late. Uh, we'll see what Gutekunst if he adopts that philosophy or not. Uh, this will be a very good telling case. Exactly. Um, so then we do have some uh, older veterans that uh, were on that list that I uh, put out there. Um, past the prime of their career, but um, still can uh, contribute, not just on the field, but definitely in the locker room as well. That's Tremont Williams, Mason Crosby, and Mercedes Lewis. And all these guys played roles for this team, and I think that they could come back next year and fulfill uh, about the same role. So having them come back on a team friendly one year deal. I could see that happening, but with their age, the team could decide to move on from them. I'm pretty much fine with either way. Yeah. And I would be happy bringing all three back if the price is right. Um, 
especially Crosby, he's probably the exception to what I just said about past the prime. Because uh, even though age-wise, you might see that, but he had one of his best seasons last year. I'd agree, and I think Crosby's probably the toughest to replace just because not too many kickers get a lot of experience kicking up in the north outdoors in the cold, and he's been doing that for years. So it's not something we have to worry about uh, as the season starts getting more important games at the end. All right. Well, is there anyone else in uh, uh, that list of unrestricted free agents that you uh, you would like to prioritize signing? I think after the draft, uh, maybe they try and bring back and sign uh, Ibram Campbell and Tyler Irvin. Both of those guys, uh, Campbell, we didn't get to see a lot this year, but uh, I like the way he played. And then obviously Tyler Irvin as a return man was great for the short time we got to see. I think we need to bring him back as the leader for the return game to start camp. Yeah, I, I can buy that. And uh, I'd like to have both of them back, but I can also see the thought of uh, getting someone younger and cheaper uh, in the draft or as an under, undrafted free agent. So then, uh, with all of that said, um, with without you know the, the signing of any of those guys, um, and really specifically Martinez, you know we look at some of the biggest holes that we have on this team, and there seem to be two pretty glaring ones: the one being wide receiver, and the second being inside linebacker. Uh, like we said, we both don't expect Martinez to come back, so that leaves a pretty gaping hole. I have no doubt with that. Those are the two biggest holes there. I'd also maybe add um, potentially offensive tackle and tight end as well. Both of those need a little bit of an upgrade as well. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see what they do with the offensive line. Uh, you know, this is assuming that Bulaga doesn't come back. Um, but th- there's plenty of guys who could step up. Uh, as we mentioned, Jenkins and Turner, uh, but no one's uh, been proven to be a reliable right tackle who's under contract in 2020. Yeah, we talked about how Turner played right tackle and uh, Jenkins played some in college. Uh, I really like the way Jenkins played at left guard, and I kind of hope that he stays at guard for at least another year before they try and move him around, let him kind of cement a little bit more and get more used to playing in the NFL before they start shifting him around. But it is a possibility. So we'll see on that. Um, so then uh, for tight end, uh, in, the big question is um, how is last year's third-round pick, uh, Jay Sternberger, going to progress? He didn't play much in 2019 due to the injury and his position on the depth chart um, and him being a tight end uh, rookie, which uh, traditionally don't do a whole lot. But the organization does seem high on him. Yeah, and he needs to be because he's going to be a huge part of uh, shoring up this tight end position. Uh, Personally, I think we're going to have to find a veteran in free agency. But right now, Jay Sternberger's uh, pretty much where all the eggs are in the basket to uh, pull this tight end group up and make it on par with uh, some other playmakers. Yeah. And then uh, a couple other positions that, you know, maybe aren't needs, uh, but... Uh, the defensive line, the quarterback, those are always positions where you just can't have enough talent at. Uh, probably don't want to do anything huge with them, uh, aside from re- resounding Kenny Clark, which is definitely an offseason priority. But um, maybe second and third day draft picks for these guys, uh, these positions would be uh, would 
be comforting to have uh, some more depth. I would agree with that because we have a lot of uh, young guys that are high draft capital up there. But as you mentioned, you can never have enough cornerbacks and players to get after the passer. So I definitely think we need to bring in a few more guys. Uh, just keep replenishing that stock. Yeah. All right. So um, depending on what we do with our own guys, uh, we do have some other uh, potential free agents that uh, we would want to have. Um as stated, wide receiver is one of our biggest holes. Um, out of all the uh, wide receivers that are uh, currently slated to be free agents, what what are some of the guys that you're looking at a lot? I was surprised to see how many wide receivers are going to be free agents. We've got guys like Devin Funches, Emmanuel Sanders, Amari Cooper, Brashad Perryman, Danny Amendola, Philip Dorsett, Demarius Thomas, and many more, but the guys that I'm intrigued with are uh, Robbie Anderson. Lots of Packers fans have kind of brought him up and talked about him um, and what he's able to do with the Jets. I think with the Packers, he could do a lot more. Um, I like uh, Taze Sharp. I just think he's a good, solid player that you could get for a good deal. Um, potentially bring back Randall Cobb. Um, he had a decent season. Um, I think he might fit in with this team. Um but the guy I'm really looking forward to with all this depth, maybe you could get a guy like AJ Green for a very cheap deal, especially with the wide receiver draft class coming out. Yeah, exactly. You know, between that list of all the uh, free agents that you uh, talked about, and the fact that this is, uh, we'll talk about it in just a little bit, but this is supposed to supposedly a wide receiver class for the ages. You know, maybe it's a, a buyer's market. Maybe we can get a guy like A.G. Green for cheap. It'll be a very interesting uh, free agent period with all these wide receivers. Lots of big names. Yeah, we'll see. All right, how about inside linebacker? Inside linebacker, uh, there's guys like Corey Littleton, Joe Schobert, John Bosick, Danny Trevathan, Reggie Raglan, and Nigel Bradham. Uh, for me, a lot of these guys are kind of that thumper. Uh, we're really looking for what we're hoping Oren Burks would have turned out uh, the last two years. He's probably perfect for what we're looking for, and I don't see a athletic cover linebacker in this group of names, um, but I wouldn't mind picking up uh, one of these guys if we can get a good deal, especially if Blake's going to be gone. We're going to need somebody to kind of man that middle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I would feel pretty nervous going into the draft without uh, signing uh, any inside linebacker, whether it's Blake or one of these guys. Um, but speaking of the draft, um, this is probably too early to get, dive in too deep of detail. There's so much more that has to happen before the draft happens. Um, but for the positions that we listed, um, what are your thoughts on the wide receivers? This class is extremely deep. I mean, I saw recently Mel Kuyper talking about he thinks 25 to 30 wide receivers could go in the first three rounds, and that's uh, been how many have been drafted in all seven in some years. So that just tells you kind of the depth there, and it's very heavy at the top. Tons of talent that will go in the first round. If the Packers are looking to uh, really kind of up their wide receiving core, they could go after one in the first round. I think it would make an immediate impact year one yeah I, I think it's absolutely necessary that we do that um 
so then the the next position that obviously we're looking at uh, inside linebacker. There's some really good talent at uh, inside linebacker as well. Um, they're very athletic. Uh, the guys that are going to go in the first round, uh, I believe Simmons is probably going to be gone before we pick. Um, but there'll be guys like Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen that hopefully might slide down and be there in the end of that first round. And uh, we could probably snatch them up there and replace Blake and get a guy that can cover, which will be pretty helpful. But we've neglected this position in the past. And so uh, stay tuned for later episodes where we'll break down some uh, guys in additional rounds that might fit what we're looking for. Yeah, you know, it's it you you touched on that, and it's it's been a position that historically the Packers have seemed not v- value very much. But you wonder if uh, the NFL has changed to a point where now they're valuing it uh, heavily again. So we'll, we'll see, um, depending on what they do. We're going to talk a lot more about the draft, um, and but the fact is there's a whole lot more that's going to happen between uh, then and now. And eventually we'll do all this deep diving into draft and what we should do in one of the more exciting off-season things. So look forward to those in future episodes. Exactly. All right. Thanks for listening to the G-Spot Packers podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the G-Spot Packer 1. Please subscribe if you liked it. And if you really like it, share this with your friends and colleagues. And as always, go Pack Go.